Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. scripture, I'll ask you to keep your Bibles open, if you would. And we're going to begin reading at verse 1. Follow along with me. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. Let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth, the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city, the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down. And there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth. And they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Would you stretch your hand this direction and pray with me and for me in the ministry of the word that God would have his way during this time. Father, we bless you today. We thank you for the privilege that we have to pull up to the table of the master. I ask you, Lord, today to speak, minister to every heart that is in this sanctuary this morning. Those that may be watching via Facebook, Lord, I pray that the word would touch their heart. We pray for our children today in the Kids City ministry, Lord, today that you would touch Pastor Lindell as he shares the word with our kids. Father, throughout this complex, may your spirit be felt, may your voice be heard, and may your word go forth and accomplish that which it is intended to accomplish. We give you praise and we give you thanks for these blessings in Jesus' wonderful and precious name. And the church said, Amen. For a few moments this morning, I'd like to talk to you about atmosphere and outpouring. Atmosphere and outpouring. I believe in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. About four of you agree with me. I believe in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Pentecostal promise and that it is available to whoever 
is hungry to be filled with God's Spirit. Quite frankly, the church is in need as a whole for revival. It's in need of a fresh outpouring from heaven. It's in need of that last day's outpouring that we heard about in the book of Joel and in the book of Acts. When God said in His Word, in the last days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. I don't believe we're supposed to be leaving this world when the time comes in a flickering flame, but I believe we're supposed to be leaving in a blaze of God's glory, souls on fire for Jesus. But the atmosphere is so critical for God's Spirit to have free rule and free reign amongst and in and through His chosen servants. And I would submit to you today that atmosphere doesn't just come through great praise and worship. I will be the first to tell you that for many years, prior to coming to have the honor to lead you as your shepherd, I have bragged on the ministry of music at the Pulaski Church of God as being the greatest praise and worship of anywhere in the state of Virginia, in my opinion. Nor does atmosphere just happen through choirs and dramas and programs and ministries. I would even say that atmosphere doesn't even come about because of the preaching of the gospel. I would say that while all of these are contributing factors to an atmosphere that would be conducive for an outpouring, I would say that when we want to see the atmosphere primed for the outpouring of God's Spirit is when we're biblically aligned with the heart of God. That's when God will pour out His Spirit. That's when men and women and young people and, and children will experience the, the dunamis, the dynamite power from on high that comes through the empowerment and infilling of the Holy Spirit. Again, not just any atmosphere will do. Because there are plenty of settings and atmospheres that are primed for everything but an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Case in point is the narrative in front of us. If you have your Bibles open, follow along with me. I want you to notice some specifics. First of all, the whole earth is one language at this time. The scripture says that they labored as one body. It tells us that they had a, a vision and a mission to build a tower that would reach to heaven. And so they had one language and, and one body and one vision. Now, let me share with you that having one language was not their problem. Communication is greatly achieved when you have one language and there's not any barriers. That actually can help. They were together as one body. They lived together and they labored together. There's no evil that can be found in that you find that they had a vision and a mission, and you have to admire them for having some objectives for themselves. Their problem was not the vision or laboring together as one body or having one language. The problem was the motive behind what they were doing. In verse 4, it tells us what their motive was. It says they wanted to make a name 
for themselves. They were trying to make a name for themselves to satisfy their desire for immortality. Their tower was wrong because of the, the motivation. And let me just stop here and share with you something I think we all need to be reminded of. And that is that you and I were created for one express and single purpose. Every single one of us put on the face of this earth are put here for one purpose. And that is simply this, glorifying God Almighty. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, the Apostle Paul writes and says it like this, Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Isaiah tells us that God is a jealous God and he does not want his glory to be given to another. And so we find here in Babel, in their mindset of the people, that they're saying, no doubt, give us our social bonds. Give us our tie of kinmanship. We will make sure after this recent flood that no other flood will touch us if the top of our city reaches the heavens. It's going to be our protection. It's going to be our reputation. It's going to be our thirst for absolute power. We're going to get our distinction. We're going to get our preeminence. We have arrived. Let us make Make us a name. Now, when I look at this uh, narrative, Brother Turpin, I, I see that it got the attention of the Lord. The Lord's up in heaven watching these people as they're, they're building this tower layer by layer. And the Bible, I would just assume, would, would imply that there was a conference called in heaven of the divine trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. If you study the Bible, you will know that three different occasions you can specifically specifically point out that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were present. Let me just mention a couple of them to you. At the creation of man, at God's crowning creation, the Bible says the, the Trinity said, let us make man in our image. Oh, what a wonderful time. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were involved in, in the creation of mankind. At the baptism of Jesus, can I tell you that the divine Trinity was definitely present. They were there. You heard God the Father's voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You see Jesus in the water and you see the dove, the Holy Spirit descending upon him. And then the third occasion that I would mention is here at the Tower of Babel when the Lord said, and when, in the, when the conference was called and, and the divine Trinity said, go to let us go down and confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So at God's crowning creation, the Trinity was involved. At Jesus' crowning moment, the Trinity was involved. And here at man's most sinful and prideful and deplorable moment, the Trinity is involved. You see, the Trinity had noticed that these people are together. They have a carnal purpose. They have an evil plan. And yes, it's to make a name for themselves in pride and arrogance. But I want you to know, I want to say it again, God didn't send an angel to check it out. He didn't ask one of the 24 elders to go down and, and scope out the situation. The scripture implies that the whole trinity came. I've asked myself the question, why? Why did the whole trinity come down and confound the language? I believe, first of all, that God knows the power. 
power of numbers. In fact, he named the book of the Bible. He named it Numbers. He's the one that wrote and said one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put ten thousand to flight. He's the one that writes and says that a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You can take one pencil and you can break it without any problem, but you take that one pencil and you add nine pencils to it and it becomes ten pencils and you're going to have a difficult time trying to break all ten pencils. And now we see that these people are taking on the unbelievable task of building a tower to heaven to make a name for themselves. As I processed that this week, I was reminded that man, even in who we are, we hate anonymity. We like for people to recognize us. We, we like for people to affirm and, and recognize our gifts and our talents. And so we will, we will be driven sometime to heroic feats of valor to make our name known. You and I have seen in our lifetime where men have sold their souls for fame and recognition. Look how many superstars there are out there that are out there only for the fame of their name. They have auctioned off their future. They have auctioned off their eternity for they, because they wanted to be recognized in the now. Even in Christianity. Can I tell you one of the most sobering things I saw a few years ago? And it really, really shook me at my foundation. It was a well-known gospel preacher that was on television. He was, he was under investigation. And I remember flipping through a Christian television stations one day. And I came to this one particular station where his church was having service. And when he walked onto the stage, the ushers went around and hoisted him up on their shoulders and paraded him around like he was an idol, like he was a God. Let me just stop here and tell you today and remind every one of us, there is one Lord. There is one God. The Lord, he is God. And besides him, there is none else. I remember Brother Turpin looking at that on my screen and literally shaking on the inside. It wasn't a few months would go by and he would go away from the face of this earth. I'm telling you, I'll say it again. God said, I'm a jealous God and my glory I will not share with anyone else. So even in Christianity, we have to be careful. We always have to work hard to make sure that we deflect and we diffuse any glory, any honor that is given to us that would cause us to live in pride. And so we see here that the divine trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, they hold a conference in heaven. And they decide that the way they're going to deal with this is they're going to confound the language of the workers. And so watch what happens. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he sent, they sent tongues as an act of judgment because the people wanted to make a name for themselves. Watch what happens. When, the, when their language was confused, they were suddenly alienated from each other. Their unity of their council was denied. Their cooperative action in building this tower was destroyed. Misunderstandings began to abound. Mistrust, no doubt, began to crop up. And finally, they, they were separated 
separated and went their own way. What I've come by to preach to you is that the atmosphere of evil unity brought tongues of judgment that separated the people and left the city of Shinar and their tower desolate, desolate and incomplete all because the people wanted to glorify themselves rather than glorify God. That tower in Genesis 11 became a monument not to man's name but to man's glory and pride and self-centeredness and selfishness and they would end up scattered and they would end up nameless and they would end up forgotten. God help us that we don't steal glory from God. God help me as a preacher of the gospel that has the honor to stand before you to remind myself that the buck doesn't stop with me, that I'm not the one really in charge, that the one really in charge is the Lord Jesus Christ, that this is not my church and this is not your church, but this is God's church and I could be taken away tomorrow and you could be removed tomorrow, but the Lord said upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So in Genesis chapter 11, the divine trinity sent judgment tongues upon people that were consumed with making a name for themselves. But now let me talk about an atmosphere of unity that is for not man's glory, but God's glory. I would imagine for thousands of years when they looked back through the Pentateuch and they recounted Moses' sharing of this situation that happened in the book of Genesis, I imagine that the people of God would reflect with great sadness over the time that God came down and turned one language into hundreds of languages and dialects to judge men for their pride and their selfishness. But I am happy to say that the story doesn't end there. For the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven like as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Now let me just stop here and talk to you for a moment. I don't know if you realize it, but reading, if you read in Acts chapter 2, you will understand that there were at least... 16 different languages and possibly as many as 120 languages represented on the day of Pentecost. For the Bible says that when the people when the people staggered out of the upper room and they were speaking in those that were gathered in their native language, the wonderful works of God, unlearned and uneducated, mostly unpopular Jews that had been seeking God for his power. They walked out of there speaking Parthian and, and Mede and, and Elamite and Mesopotamia and Cappadocian and Egyptian and Libyan. All the people that were gathered there in Pentecost that day heard these fishermen, these former tax collectors, Mary the mother of Jesus and, and a handful of disciples and, and a bunch of believers 120 total heard them speaking in their own native language the wonderful works of God and what I've come by to tell you is that God sent tongues 
tongues again. Bottom line, God sent tongues again. He sent tongues to a group with unity, vision, and mission, and purpose. But this time, it was much different because this time, they weren't seeking for their own glory. They were seeking for the glory of God, for the expansion of the gospel, for the sake and the name of Jesus Christ, their Savior and their Lord. God help me preach today. <laughs> Let me give you some contrasting revelation between Genesis chapter 11 and Acts chapter 2. First of all, the tongues of Genesis brought separation, while the tongues of Acts brought togetherness. Oh, hallelujah. The Genesis tongues divided, but the Acts tongues united. God sent judgment tongues to divide in Genesis, but he sent grace tongues to unite in the book of Acts. He sent confusion tongues in Genesis to slow down evil, but he sent anointed tongues in the book of Acts to speed up the expansion of the gospel in the known world. At Babel, men spoke in tongues that brought confusion, but at Pentecost, men spoke in tongues and languages the wonderful works of God. I've come by to preach and am proud to preach that Pentecost was a divine reversal of Babel. And I thank God that I am Pentecostal today. <laughs> Hallelujah. In Babel, they spoke with tongues and no one understood. But at Pentecost, they spoke with tongues and everyone present understood. Hallelujah. In Babel, the work glorified themselves. But at Pentecost, the work glorified God. Thank God for my Pentecostal heritage. <laughs> I've been in Pentecost all of my life. And if I had it to do all over again... I would want it exactly the same way. I'm glad to be Pentecostal. I'm glad that we believe in the speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance and that it is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. People are trying to water it down. They're trying to challenge it. They're calling us fanatics. Let me tell you something. When you pulled on to the parking lot this morning, you pulled on to the parking lot of a church of God. You pulled on to a parking lot of a church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee. You pulled on to the parking lot of a church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, that still believes in the forked tongues of fire that fall on God's people when they surrender and they submit themselves to the Lord. Here's what I don't get. If you pulled on to the parking lot, then you've already been labeled in the community. You're already a holy roller. You're already a fanatic. You might as well just indulge yourself in the Spirit of God. Oh, yes, I remember the days as a small child when I'd be underneath the pews with my head sticking out. And those Church of God mamas would begin to shout their hair down. And I'm telling you, I'd feel something run up and down my little spine. 
I didn't know everything that was going on. I knew it seemed a little strange. It seemed a little different. But I would come to understand that it was the power of God. Oh, praise the Lord. I'm still Pentecostal. I still believe in the Pentecostal distinctive. I will not apologize for being Pentecostal. If you brought some civilized, if you were looking for some civilized preacher that wouldn't snot and sweat all over the place because you're getting ready to build a a new building and you want to be sophisticated in the community, I'm telling you, you brought the wrong person in. I tell you, let me tell you what happened to me a few years ago. I was in a building program where I was serving. And I remember that we were going to go into this new sanctuary and I was going to become a little more seeker driven and I wasn't going to be as rowdy and you know Lord well, I'm going into a bigger building there's going to be a larger crowd and, and I you know I, I don't want to I, I want to ruin the reputation of the church in the community I'm telling you the Holy Spirit gave me a spanking like you wouldn't believe he whipped me up one side and down the other I'm telling you as long as this temple is able to as long as this body is able to hold up when I feel the presence of God I'm going to shout when I feel the presence of God, I'm going to dance. When I feel the presence of God, I'm going to start my feet. I'll jump up and down. However the Lord leads, the bottom line is, I have a Pentecostal heritage and I will not apologize for it. Oh, Holy Ghost, help me. See, if we're not careful, we'll raise a generation of young people and children that do not know about the works of Pentecost. We've got to have God's spirit. We've got to have God's power. Those tongues were given to whoever believes. That promise is to you and to your children And to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. He called me to salvation, and he called me to be filled with his spirit. (laughs) See, your friends and family are carnal in nature. They're alienated from the body of Christ. Don't you dare be afraid to bring them to a Pentecostal service. Too many of us like to be happy in the Holy Ghost, but we're not happy about the Holy Ghost. We need to be happy about the Holy Ghost. We need to be unapologetic. That God's Spirit still rules and still reigns at the Pulaski Church of God. You may follow his ministry. He was the evangelist when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost myself at 19 years old. Jensen Franklin. But I remember him vividly telling a story when he was a young teenager. He had already been dealing with the call of God upon his life. God had laid a burden on his heart for a close friend of his that needed Jesus. And so he invited him to church. The friend consented to come. Before the service started that whole week, Jensen was praying. And he was saying, now God, 
my friend's never been in a Pentecostal church. We need to, we need to keep it down a little bit. Lord, I need you to touch this one and this one and this one that they're not quite as rowdy as they normally are. Came in. They were standing. The choir was singing. Probably one of those good old convention camp meeting songs. Verse 1, chorus, everything was fine. Verse 2, chorus, everything was fine. Verse 3, chorus, everything was fine. But then the choir director said, let's sing the chorus again. Jensen said, oh, no. They sang the chorus again. And sure enough, the brother that was famous for doing it got touched by the Holy Ghost. And started moving in the choir. Started moving in the choir. There was another one. They got touched by the Holy Ghost. It was starting to rise in the house. And when this particular brother got touched by the Holy Ghost, he would, he would strut across the stage jerking like a chicken <laughs> under the power of the Holy Spirit. Jensen's just a praying, oh, Lord, this is not what I prayed for. Now, you and I talked about this, but the icing on the cake was when he looked up and he saw his Church of God pastor daddy. And he knows what happens when the Holy Ghost gets a hold of him. He just starts twirling across the stage like this. And that was it. The place went unglued. The power of God fell, and Jensen's just holding on to the back of the pew going, Dear Lord, dear Lord, this is not what we talked about. Sure enough, he looked out one eye to his right, and his friend was gone. He bowed his head again and said, Lord, I told you this was going to happen. He turned around, walked out of the foyer, looked around in the parking lot, couldn't find him. When he walked back in the church, he saw someone kneeling up at the altar that had a jacket on just like his friend wore that morning. I'm telling you something today. What you believe would be something that would repel the unbeliever is exactly what God will use to bring them to the saving knowledge of the Lord. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, tongues are for a sign to the unbeliever. Quench. Not the spirit. We've quenched it long enough. Oh God. There are people sitting in this room today. It's been months. It's been years. Since you felt the Holy Ghost. It's been a long time since you shook under the power. I've got to have you. It's not just on Pastor Tony or myself or the elders or the youth pastor, the young adult pastor. It's not just upon leadership to create an atmosphere. It's every one of us that call ourselves spirit-filled children of God. good enough for you is good enough for your lost and dying friends. Twelve people's names out of 120 are listed. Just twelve. Eleven disciples and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Other than that, you don't know who the other 108 people are. 
in carnal flesh, in the Babel spirit, numbers united to make a name for themselves. But when you really have spirit-minded people, you find them dwelling in unity, one mind, one accord, the Holy Spirit falls on them, the power of God is present, and people are getting saved daily. And no name is receiving the glory except Jesus Christ. If people never know my name, may they know my Jesus. I want a fading ministry. I want a ministry like John the Baptist had when he declared he must increase and I must decrease.